I sort of started figuring it out. And I remember I was driving a truck at the time and I went to a movie prop warehouse where I knew one of the guys that was working there. And we were just, I was doing a delivery and we were just making talk about small talk about fishing. And we were, I was talking about that. I was into fly fishing and he asked me if I tied my own flies. And I said, yeah, I do. And yeah, I've been doing it for quite a while. And he says, well, do you make anything that looks real? I'm like, yeah, I could make, you know, some imitations now that are starting to look real and start to look pretty good. And he says, well, can you make me some house flies? I need them for a movie. And I went, yeah, I could give that a shot. That night I went home and I tried to figure it out and I was looking online and I downloaded real pictures of flies and I was just trying to figure out how to tie it and I couldn't use, didn't want to use a hook. So I just sort of came up with the idea of, you know, beads for eyes and what uh, experimenting what I could use for wings. And I made him a dozen and I brought him to him probably a couple weeks later and I guess he loved it. And I, off they went to some movie and I got a few bucks for it. And then slowly... Every couple of months, I get a phone call or an email from, from him or from prop people at studios, and they would just be asking me for a variety of insects. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here's your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today on the program, we're pleased to welcome Grant Dixon. Grant runs Real Insects. Now, Real Insects makes custom flies, and he also does uh, insect props for uh, TV and film. Grant, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, you're definitely welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so maybe um, before we get into your business and some of the cool things you're up to, maybe you can tell me just uh, a little bit about kind of how you got uh, started in, in fly fishing. Where, where did it all start for you? Ah, okay. Uh, years ago when I was younger, I definitely was uh, turned on to fishing by my dad, I guess, like a lot of kids are. And we mostly just fished the Fraser River up here in the Fraser Valley around Vancouver and Surrey. And it was just all bar fishing the Fraser River. And from there, I just learned to make spoons, lures, bar rigs, and pouring lead to make our own weights. And my dad pretty much taught me all that sort of stuff. And uh, I pretty much did that until probably into my 20s not even really knowing a lot about fly fishing or even that it was out there. And it wasn't until later on, many years later, that I, my wife and I moved into the Okanagan in uh, British Columbia, and it's all Stillwater lakes and a few pristine rivers. And I just sort of stumbled upon fly fishing and sort of it, the bug sort of bit, as it were. And I started reading a little bit, trying to figure out, you know, the ins and outs of casting. And, and I sort of naturally progressed into fly tying and made a few disastrous ones and just trying to figure out all how to do it. And then from there, I just sort of tried to learn more, got involved on some internet sort of websites where I'd ask questions. And then from there, just sort of snowballed and as to sort of where I am today. So um, it's obviously a passion of yours that you've, you've turned into a, into a side business. Yeah, I, I um, really sort of like doing it. And I've probably been tying maybe for 15 years. And yeah, it sort of progressed and then slowly just word of mouth with coworkers and friends, people would just ask for flies and then somebody else would pull me out of the blue and say, Oh, you made so-and-so some flies. Can you make me that same pattern? I'm like, sure. Okay. And then it just sort of, I think it was mostly word of mouth where mm -hmm. it sort of took off from. And it was 
not a lot here. It was here and there, and you know, it's mostly seasonal. Obviously, you know, once ice off was happening, I would get you know requests to make leeches and chronomids and all kinds of stuff, and some of my own goofy patterns that I would come up with. People found them, you know, they were quite successful apparently. So definitely uh, enjoyed doing it. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that creative process because I I love talking to uh, commercial tires about how they come up with patterns, like kind of. Where does your creativity or where does, where does that, how do you harness that? And, and, and how do you, how do you develop a fly basically? Um, sometimes, you know, I'll go through the books and a fly tying magazines or through websites and I'll see certain patterns. And when I was first starting, I always had a sort of a hard time making somebody's particular pattern or copy mimicking somebody else's pattern and trying to learn to emulate them and stuff like that. But then I found it easier for me just to sort of use my sort of creative side and just sort of come up with my own ideas or lookalikes and i think a lot of it came from learning from my dad learning how to make spoons and uh carving cedar flatfish lures and sort of taking some of that i think is into developing what i've sort of turned into now yeah i spend a lot of time like obviously i go to like the fly you know the fly tying stores i look in there for ideas and i also spend a lot of time also in like craft stores and dollar stores and just sort of sort of getting you know sort of crafty ideas and all stuff like that and then it's just you know beads or what can i put with this and that and just try a lot of it's trial and error it's interesting when you put your own spin on it too right you take a, a general theme and and then you kind of go with it yeah exactly like i would you know i remember trying to make uh, some steel head flies and i was having a hard time with the feathers and i couldn't figure out you know how to get the reel on and all that sort of stuff and then i was just like well maybe i'll just do this and this and this and all of a sudden i just had you know 15 of my own made that were not exactly what everybody else was using at the time but they seem to work. I always like to ask people that tie a lot, what kind of equipment are you using? Like, what kind of vice do you like to use, Grant? Uh, right now, I've got uh, a Regal pedestal one. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact model number, and it's really good. I've got, you know, probably five or six uh, knockoff brands and Sunrise and a few other ones like that that I use occasionally just to help out or if I'm making like a stringer fly to suspend some lines up or something like that. Uh, but yeah, lately, it's just this Regal I've got. And uh, it works great. It holds a variety of hook sizes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've got, you know, just uh, quite a variety of bobbins and all, all the local, all the little tools that I've sort of picked up at all the local shops. What's your go-to bobbin look like? Anything specific? The one I have that I use all the time, I think it's just a $5 special from the local fly shop. Is that right? I just sort of open it. I just open it and close it as I need, if I need uh, tension on it. And it just the thread doesn't tie up inside it for some reason. I it just seems to work. It's I've got a more expensive one that I don't seem to use as much. It's funny how that works. I know I got one that's probably yeah. fifty years old, and I use it all the time. I got some expensive ones that I like, but uh, yeah, the old standby never hurts, does it? Yeah, exactly. I, I love. It. I guess I'm more familiar with it. Fits in my hand perfectly, and I just sort of got a good feel for if I need to, you know, increase or decrease tension on it or whatever. And, I just get used to, uh, I just sort of got myself really used to swapping the thread in and out. I used to have, you know, four or five of them all there with all different threads on them or whatever, and then be able to go back and forth, but I find it much easier. I don't mind just switching the thread out, especially when I'm more comfortable with it. What about scissors? Uh, any Anything specific stands out that you like to use? I've got quite, uh, I've got quite a few. I've got uh, quite a few different sizes. I think I have a, a couple that I mostly use, I think are Dr. Slick's. Mm-hmm. I think is the brand on them. And I've got two of those. And then I've got uh, some no-name ones that I've picked up at other fly tying stores. But yeah, I think it's the Dr. Slick ones, that, the two that are sort of always on the bench. Who would you say has been the biggest influence in your fly tying? As a person? Yeah. Um, I 
think probably one of my biggest influences is probably just uh, the work of Brian Chan. Mm-hmm. And his, I find his work is spectacular. And I think he, he was involved in the freshwater fisheries for many, many years. And he lives in the Kamloops area, where up in the area where we used to live. And uh, his work is, is quite spectacular. I think it's really imitative of the insects and the chronomids in, in and around British Columbia. Yeah, fair comment. So question for you, how did you get into this insect props for TV and film? That's something that I never would have thought of uh, in fly tying. I I didn't think of it at all. I always knew when you were trying to make, or I was sort of under the impression that when you're making flies, you're supposed to make these imitative insects. And I always sort of had a hard time kind of doing that on a hook and with beads. And then I sort of started figuring it out. And I remember I was driving a truck at the time and I went to a movie prop warehouse where I knew one of the guys that was working there. And we were just, I was doing a delivery and we were just making talk about, small talk about fishing. And we were, I was talking about that I was into fly fishing and he asked me if I tied my own flies. And I said, yeah, I do. And yeah, I've been doing it for quite a while. And he says, well, do you make anything that looks real? I went, yeah, I could make, you know, some imitations now that are starting to look real and start to look pretty good. And he says, well, can you make me some house flies? I need them for a movie. And I went, yeah, I could give that a shot. That night I went home and I tried to figure it out and I was looking online and I downloaded real pictures of flies and I was just trying to figure out how to tie it and I couldn't use, didn't want to use a hook. So I just sort of came up with the idea of, you know, beads for eyes and what uh, experimenting what I could use for wings. And I made him a dozen and I brought him to him probably a couple of weeks later and I guess he loved it. And I off they went to some movie and I got a few bucks for it and then slowly... Every couple of months, I get a phone call or an email from, from him or from prop people at studios, and they would just be asking me for a variety of insects. Right. Anything from spiders to, uh, I made a giant scorpion for one show, and more house flies for another movie, and cockroaches. I got a crazy question for you, Grant. So, yeah. as, as somebody that ties flies basically to catch fish, when you're, when you're tying flies kind of for, for movies or film, what are you tying it on? Are you just cutting that hook off or how does that look? That's, that's how I first started. When I was first initially experimenting with the first house flies, I, I had a, like a large streamer hook that I was trying to tie them on and trying to figure out how to do it. And then I thought, well, no, I, you know, and then when you sort of looked at it, you, I would cut the, the point off and I would be left with the eye of the hook and I'm trying to cut that off. And it was just like, so all of a sudden I thought of uh, straight pins. Okay. I would just get a straight pin. It would fit in the vise perfectly and I could hide it with material and, but it would still be there to sort of give you a solid backbone as it were to start with. Hmm. I was looking, uh, Grant, at your catalog of insect series. You got houseflies, bees, wasps, ladybugs, dragonflies. Uh, you mentioned scorpions. I, I noticed you did butterflies. Am I, am I missing anything there? No, that's pretty much, no, that's pretty much it. I was asked to make some goldfish for one TV show and, uh, I haven't come up with that one yet. So hmm. I think that'll be a challenge, but yeah, that's pretty much what, what, what I've got there. I think is pretty much it. Uh, I've made a variety of spiders for a couple of movies. One movie, they, the actress didn't want to have a real spider in the bathtub with her. So they all of a sudden told me last minute and asked if I could make one and <laughs> I just whipped one up and then I guess they were happy that they didn't have to deal with a real spider. It's pretty cool when you've, you know, you're doing something for a certain market, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, well, maybe I can do this." That's that's really interesting to me. Yeah, it was sort of it's sort of nice how it works out because it's you know it's not a, a high income definitely, but it definitely pays for you know the addiction of fly fishing and wine and supplies for the tying itself, and sort of looks after itself. So, do you still get out fishing a lot? 
lately as the family's expanding lately, not so much. Um, well, we generally try to get up into the interior of British Columbia so I can get on the still waters up there and maybe the Adams river. But lately, just because of the new addition to our family, the last six months has pretty much almost been a, a homestay. Right. As it were, fresh baby and that sort of stuff. But uh, the boys and my two sons and I have gone out a couple of times in the last little while just to the nearby lakes. Right. And they're still gear chuckers. They still not quite ready or they're not quite interested in learning the uh, fly casting techniques. But they're, uh, they're, they're more than happy to sit there in their lawn chair and stare at their bobber. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's yeah. a good way to pass the past the day oh yeah three of us sitting there having a good time so yeah can i ask you a funny question what's the weirdest yeah. material you use in some of your realistic patterns uh the weirdest material well i was looking at some of your patterns and i didn't recognize some of the materials you're using and i was just curious it looked like you're getting pretty creative in that department yeah i spent a lot of, like i said dollar stores and michael's craft stores and raffia that i guess the one of that that sort of meshy craft material mm-hmm that's that sort of stuff. Uh, ribbons that I find, you know, laying around the house from the wife's crafting and that sort of stuff. Uh, a lot of craft foam. Would you say that's your main creative outlet time? Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, that's pretty much my my outlet right now. Uh, it is a musical household. We do play a lot of music here, but that seems to be the uh, the mainstay for the for creativity and just sort of getting that out there and experimenting and trying to be artsy and crafty at the same time. If somebody wanted to get a hold of some of your patterns, Grant, um, what's the best way to reach you at? Uh, probably, the, probably email is the easiest way, or through my the Instagram site. But yeah, email is real insects, all one word at gmail dot com, and that's R E E L. Yeah, real as in fishing, real fly, real or uh, film real. As that's sort of where I came up with the name from. Got it. What's your Instagram handle? Hi, uh, it's real underscore insects. Excellent. So there yeah. you have it. I, I, something I'd like to ask my guests on the show, crazy fish stories. Have you got anything kind of bizarre or memorable that's happened to you in your time fly fishing in uh, BC? Um, the most recent was on the Adams River. I was fishing by myself. There was a couple of fellas that were sort of out towards the lake area there, out in the mouth, and I was just sort of inside the, the river a bit, and it's when the sockeye salmon all come up. And we were looking stocking lake trout and rainbow trout that are up there looking for the eggs. And I was really hungry and I had my fly rod in my hand. I had egg pattern that was bouncing along the bottom and I was sort of lost interest in the rod at the time. And I was more interested in my granola bar that I was trying to dig out of my pocket. And as I started to eat it, I guess I got a good hit on the rod and it bent really good and it took off on my hands and I'm standing with the granola bar still trying to chew. And at the same time, I realized that the, now my rod and reel are down in the river and they're going along with the current. So I had to quickly sort of catch up to it. And of course, you know, get half drenched trying to, you know, bend over and trying to get it out of the, out of the gravel at the same time. But then, yeah. And then, then of course I lost my granola bar. Did you get the rod back? I got the rod and reel back and lost the fish, but you know, I was a little bit, you know, wet for wear, but it was okay. That, that was probably, you know, the most recent one in the, in the fall. What do you find you enjoy the most about fly fishing and time on the water? Um, my most enjoyable time when we're out on the, uh, when I'm fly fishing is the, uh, the quiet and the solitude mm-hmm. and fishing in general. I love it when I take my two boys out and the three of us can just sort of sit there and make small talk and chat and, and the days just fly, seem to fly by when the three of us are out there. Yeah. Well said. 
and they're and they're young. They're nine and eleven, so I I hope they you know I hope they stay with it. If you could change something about fly fishing, does anything come to mind? That's something I like to ask. Also, just uh, as far as gear or just uh, anything in general about the sport. Uh if I could change anything about fly fishing, yeah. Ah, oh, man, that's a that's a that's a good question. Or tying, maybe fly tying, maybe something you'd like to change about fly tying. Um, if you can make it, ah, uh, I don't know, make it easier. Yeah. Do you, do you, and maybe a little less frustrating sometimes, I guess. Um, if you're trying to tie stuff and it's not working out, maybe a little of the frustration, maybe make it a little easier. But I guess that would come with practice and time. Right. Do you, do you use um, anything for mag- magnification when you're tying? Uh, as I'm getting older, yes. <laughs> I've got uh, probably a four inch. It's about a four inch lens that I have on a gooseneck that I'll put in front of my vise, okay. and then I'll put a, a small light beside it. And I'll use that, especially for some of the smaller chronomids that I'll tie, or some of the uh, some of the insects. If I want, if I'm concerned about detail, if they're going to have a close up shot for a film or a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I've also, if I'm not using that, I've also got uh, reading glasses now, so I'll keep them on the end of my nose and try to find the safe, you know, the good focal distance from my face to the vice. Well, when you start doing those small chronomid patterns, that's I know personally, I I need those cheaters every time because otherwise I can't see a darn thing. Oh yeah, it's impossible to see the yeah where <laughs> you get the ribbing on the one end, or you can't even yeah you lose sight of it. It's just if you were to pick a go-to fly pattern that kind of maybe it's the first one out of your box when you hit a water, um, what would that be? Uh, there's one I tie that I don't know. It's not my pattern. It came from I think it's a, a UK sea trout pattern, and I can't I, I can't remember the name of it. It's got. Uh, some black hack up on the front. I think it's a picture. I think there's a picture on my real insects page. And then it's got some blue dubbing and then some red dubbing and then a ribbing up along it. Okay. And it, it seems, it's kind of like, I guess it's like a searching flashy sort of pattern. And it just seems to, it just seems to work. Uh, if nothing else seems to do. Any tail on it? I think there is a, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think there is a small little tail on there, a few hair fibers. I think I put on them. Yeah. I think the name, yeah, and I can't, the name escapes me. I think, yeah, it definitely comes from the UK or Scotland. And it just, maybe because it's different. I'm curious what, what would be like some patterns that you consistently get asked to tie commercially? What, what are people asking you for? Uh, lately it's those little boobies. Right. And, um, leeches. A lot of people like leeches with some flash on it, like, uh, uh, a sparkly leech. Um, what else? And chronomids, I guess. Uh, I get asked a fair bit for tiny chronomids. Uh, silver with red ribs or black with a red rib. You do any balance leeches? Uh, I've experimented a little bit with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've tried a few in, in just sort of like in burgundy colors. Right. And yeah, again, with I think for those I've been using, like uh, I have, uh, I think I just put a safety pin on the end of the hook and then just sort of find the balance point and put a bead on the end. I think that's what I was doing with some of those ones. We're talking today with Grant Dixon of Real Insects, Custom Flies, and he also makes insects uh, as props for uh, television and film. Grant, I find it interesting because when you say boobies, that's a pattern that's kind of developed pretty huge in North America the last few years. Obviously, it was big in Europe uh, long before that. What what color? Like, what color are people looking for? Uh, in those ones, I get asked for um, ones with large orange or white eyes or the foam eyes and uh bright orange bright greens hmm. um yeah like sort of like fuchsia even some fuchsias yeah just sort of really bright vibrant sort of colors that i guess 
I guess, popped in the water, I guess. Uh, there's nothing, nothing sort of drab or imitative about them. They're just... It sounds like a tequila booby, like that color, like in the orange? That's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what the, the, a lot of the guys up here tie or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the green and the orange and stuff like that. What um, kind of hooks do you prefer to tie on? I know there's lots of options out, but is there a certain brand that you, that's kind of your go-to? For a while there, I was using uh, that Tiamco and or some of the Dachi ones. And lately now, I've sort of uh, been talking to, uh, I think it's RX Hooks. Mm-hmm. RX. And yeah, they've hooked me up with uh, a fair amount of them. And I've just, I just love them. I think they're great to tie on and they're super sharp. Right. I've got a variety of those ones now, so. Right. And, and when you tie a pattern... I'm I'm curious because um, as as somebody that doesn't tie commercially, I have lots of materials at, at my at my desk. But I'll I'll look for a certain hook, and if I don't have it, I'll substitute it. Are you are you one of those guys that goes, no, it's got to be that hook, that brand, or are are you willing sometimes to go, okay, well that's about the right size and shape of it? That's a, that's a, that's what I do. If if I ran out of one particular type of hook and I want to tie this, yeah, I'll I'll experiment mm-hmm. crazily. I'll, I don't. As long as it's, you know, the approximate size or the, you know, if it's got a curve on it or if I want to want to tie it on a, a little bit of a smaller one or a little bit of a larger one. Yeah, I, I'll just go with whatever I've got and experiment and have fun with it. Something I've noticed, Grant, lately too with the, uh, some of the trends. Okay, so there's you got all these new patterns coming on the scene um, that maybe people haven't seen for a lot of years. But there's also, I think, kind of a retro thing going on where people look back and they start looking at the 52 Buicks and the maybe the Doc Spratleys and I'm trying to think, Pheasant Tails, uh, Zug Bugs. Um, are you seeing that at all in your business? I think, I get asked for, like, um, stuff to, with a lot of Pheasant Tail. Like, some some guys will ask me for, uh, uh, like, a halfback or just a solid Pheasant Tail with some ribbing tied up along the sides. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of that one, but yeah, there's, there's one that I tied up for one, one fella. And it's just, all I do is just put some pheasant tail fibers for a small tail at the end and then just wrap the pheasant tail up the shank and then just put some gold ribbing on it. Oh yeah. That's, that's money. We used to use that all the time. I think it's just uh, like a fe- pheasant tail halfbacker. Yeah, that's I guess that's what they are. And then, yeah, I get asked to make those kind of things or a variety of it or something, you know, if I could make something similar to it or close to what they describe or what they send me a picture of or something. Do you get that a lot on custom stuff? So somebody sends you a shot and said, Hey, can you tie this? I, I, once in a while. Yeah. Once in a while they'll say, Oh, I've seen, yeah, I don't know where to find this. Can you make a couple of them? And, yeah. Okay. I'll try. And they might not be exact as per the material. If I can't, you know, actually physically hold it and look at it and examine it. But right. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll give it a valiant effort and try to, you know, try my best to show them what it looks like. And if they're happy with it and then get it wet and, What's your most challenging patterns to tie? Some guys just can't, don't like dealing with deer hair. Um, other people don't like tying small, small chronomids. What's your kind of nemesis at the vice? Um, I have a hard, hard time and I don't get along with deer hair very well. And I keep trying. And also uh, a few small dry flies. If there's a post on there and I want to wrap the heckle around the post, I find I, get, I, find I can get pretty frustrated at, at that. So I'm more than, yeah, I'm more than happy to tie, you know, largest streamers. And... <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Deer hair, deer hair is a funny, I got a love hate thing with deer hair, especially when you're trying to do like a deer hair gonfus and you're stacking the whole body. Cause it is pretty time consuming. Oh yeah. I think that's the thing. I just, yeah, you gotta be patient and I think it's a lot of practice, I guess. It's... Do you, do you use a uh, catching basket like, uh, for your materials underneath your vice? Uh, I'm supposed to, but I don't. And I hear about it. 
<laughs> well, you got a broom then, right? I got a broom and yeah, the vacuum sometimes gets rolled to my feet more than once. So what do you like to sit in? I know it's a funny question, but if you spend a lot of time at the vice, I think the chair is pretty darn important. Is it a swivel chair? What, what kind of chair are you sitting in? Uh, yeah. Um, sometimes it's just the hardwood straight flat kitchen chair, or sometimes, uh, just a swivel five wheeled rolling office chair. And what about for lighting up your, your patterns? So when you're working on these small, intricate patterns, um, what kind of light are you using? Just like a little, uh, flexible light or how does that look? Yeah, I've got, I've got like a little tiny, looks like, I think it's a little LED on a gooseneck. Mm-hmm. I have one of those. And then I also have a halogen, a small halogen table light that comes, that, that extends and I can kind of get manipulate that into position for myself. And those are about the only, and then just the ceiling lights. Grant, what about your materials? Like, are they stored on peg hooks? You have them on the wall? Are they in drawers? Are they a little bit of everything? How, how does that work for you? Um, right now, I've got a lot of them sort of in uh, in in totes mm-hmm. and in just in sort of uh, plastic plastic drawers and that sort of stuff. How important is organization as a commercial tire? Uh, I I think it's pretty. I like this. It's important, but I, I'd say I'm not very important. I'm not very good at it yet. But uh, yeah, I definitely like to keep you know the hooks separate, separate, uh, just so I know where they all are and what I've got. And then same with the tying supplies. If I can at least keep the feathers separate in one area versus the, all the I have all the dubbing stacked together all and sort of all color coordinated. And if I can keep it that somewhat organized, at least then the tying can go a little bit quicker and it's not so frustrating going through a tote looking for stuff. When you sit down to tie a certain pattern for somebody, do you try and dial off six of them or a dozen of them, or do you just do a couple and move on to something else? Uh, if they, depending on how many they want, I'll try, I'll sit there and I'll do a, a couple experiment, experimentation ones and then just make sure I can, I've got it. And then if I can keep my focus, then I'll work on, you know, another 12 or so. But I find if I'm just doing it for myself, it's easy to make two of one kind, one of another one, and the brain's going a mile a minute, and then all of a sudden I get an idea for something else, and I've made like three of that one. And <laughs> That's that's the way I get it. Oh, look, something's shiny yeah. over there. <laughs> Let's try. Oh, yeah, I fall, I fall victim to it. I know some of my fly, I'll go to the river with the fly box, and it'll be like, you know, 12 or 15 flies in it, and they're all different. I was talking to some guys that were involved with Team Canada and the World Fly Fishing Championships. And if anything, they're telling me they kind of dial it down. They have their go-to patterns. Like rather, Sometimes I think as, as fly fishermen and fly tires, we're guilty of having too many patterns. We almost have too many choices. He's saying, you know, you just change the color bead, maybe have the same pattern or change the size of the bead on something you know works. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always sort of, the guy that sort of brings way too many fly boxes out and there's way too many things in there. And I'll, my, you know, my bag will be on the side of the stream or in the boat and it's 18 fly boxes in there and I've never even opened half of them. <laughs> and, but yeah, I think if you sort of kept it simple yeah, I, and just, you know, had your, had your favorite patterns and just sort of a, a, a little bit of variety on each one. Well, and I suspect the guys and gals that you're hearing from that want you to tie patterns, those are probably their go-to patterns, right? I would think so. Yeah. Or, yeah, or they're the go-to of their, you know, the guy that outfished them the previous weekend. And <laughs> Well said. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, Grant, I, I know you got a, a busy household there. I'll let you get back to things. I really appreciate you taking the time today. 
Oh, and thank you very much for having me, Mark. That's Grant Dixon from Real Insects, custom flies and lures, insect props for television and film. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or a topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.